0: Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today we will begin our new sermon series titled, Making Real What I Already Believe. In this sermon, Caleb will be looking at some of the core things that we embrace and believe about who God is, and how that changes the way we live. We see that there are many distorted views about God, and these can create a dissonance between what we believe in our heads about God and what we feel in our hearts. This dissonance is common in our spiritual lives, but can be resolved in experiencing the goodness of God in the middle of our circumstances and looking at him through the lens of the cross. Well, happy summer. I'm not sure how it's July already. Uh, That seems to be how it goes but this morning I am introducing our summer series uh, and we've titled it Making Real What I Already Believe and we're going to be looking at some of the core things that we embrace and believe about who God is and how that changes the way that we live and if you've been around Varsity in the summer before you know it's our tradition in this church to get to hear from some different voices in our community over the summer. And so this summer is no different. You'll hear from me once, or twice, sorry, and Susan once, and then we'll be getting to hear from some other people from within our community, which will be very good. And uh, we're basing the series this summer on this book. It's called Having the Mind of Christ. And shout out to Carol McIver, who actually gave all of us pastors a copy of this book and we thought it would be really helpful for building a summer series. Um, So this book has eight axioms to cultivate a robust faith. And it's all about eight axioms or principles about who God is. And an axiom is defined as something that we assume to be true, something we take for granted. It's a starting point or something that we begin with. And the authors of this book have identified Eight essential thoughts for forming our picture of who God is. And so these eight thoughts are going to make up our summer series. So with that said, let me uh, tell you what they are. And this is what we'll be spending time diving into this summer. So number one, God is love. So it's all about love. Number two, God is always present and at work. Number three, God is just like Jesus. Number four, God meets us in our messy reality. Number five, God cares about all of it more than we do. Number six, God does the same God's love, always reckons with power. And number eight, God transforms us through embodied participation. So there'll be a quiz on this at the end. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm excited for us to have a chance to hear from some different voices on these themes this summer. I think it's going to be really rich. And each week, we'll take a deeper dive into uh, one of these axioms. And all of them are going to be paired with stories from scripture that relate to the theme or demonstrate the theme at work. And as you can see, uh, these axioms are all about the picture we carry about who God is. Do you notice they all start with God is. And I don't know what you feel when you look at this list. You probably just saw it for the first time. But if you sat with it for a while, I'm not sure what would come up for you. Maybe you would see it and you think, yes, absolutely, that's what I believe, that's what I live out of. Um, But maybe you see this and you think, uh, I'm kind of struggling or I'm fighting to believe in some of these things or maybe the circumstances of your life are causing you to question some of your long-held beliefs. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. But it does go without saying that this list or the the picture of God that's formed by this list isn't the only picture of God that's available in the world. Here's another picture of God that's actually quite readily available. And there's a lot of examples of distorted pictures of God available in the world. This example is from a Westboro Baptist church. Maybe you've seen them in the news or heard about them in the States. Uh, But they proclaim this God of hatred, Um, this God who hates everyone and everything except presumably the people who are holding the signs. God maybe doesn't hate them. (laughs) But I actually don't think that you or I would struggle to find people who we know who associate the word Baptist with this image, or people who associate the word church with that, that image, or maybe people who associate the word God or Jesus with that image. And while it's easy for us to distance ourselves from the people in this picture, many of us still live with tainted images of who God is. And I get it's probably much more subtle than this very loud, God hates everyone kind of belief. But what about statements like, God is disappointed in me, or God is distant from me, or God is too busy to really care about me. And I know from talking with many of you and I know from my own experiences that when we're being honest, we sometimes struggle with some of these subtle distortions In our picture of who God is. And then we look at the list, the the axioms, and it creates a feeling of dissonance. And I want to talk about dissonance in our spiritual lives, and we'll define that. But first, here's a video that captures what I mean by dissonance. So let's just watch this for a moment. It's a short clip. Uh, does your spiritual life ever feel like that (laughs) is that just me you're like i'm trying to get the notes it's not quite something's not working something's out of tune what what is dissonance um here's a definition a simple definition a tension or a clash resulting from this combination of two disharmonious or unsuitable elements um so you heard that in the song, right? A coupl- the notes just weren't quite fitting. I was going to roast the band, but they were actually so good this morning. There was no, there was no dissonance there. Um, but this is what I'm talking about. And I think, I think dissonance is actually common in our spiritual lives. And yeah. what I'm talking about is the clash between what we believe in our heads and what we feel in our hearts or what we experience in our lives. And when these things are not in harmony, it creates a feeling of dissonance. And I can remember a time in my life when I lived with a lot of dissonance. Um, When I was 18, I moved to Toronto to work with a a mission organization called Urban Promise. And we worked with, uh, it was a Christian organization, we worked with uh, youth and kids in government housing, so in some of the roughest neighborhoods in Toronto. Um, But at that time in my life, I was very uncertain if I even believed in God, and I certainly was unsure if I believed in Jesus. And I had to teach Bible studies to kids. Oh, Lord, forgive me. (laughs) I wouldn't want to go back and see what those were were like, but I had a lot of dissonance and, and, and people. I heard people talking about Jesus all the time. And I was uh, immersed in this environment that was centered around Jesus and I didn't know what I thought about him and so every time I heard his name I was like I had this feeling of tension within me you know and eventually I came to know and experience the living Jesus because I realized he was a real person he was involved in my life uh, very closely he was walking with me and I remember the night that I first had peace and I was sitting in the church, it was my second year of internship and we were sitting in Forest Brook Community Church in Pickering, Ontario and I, w- I just I th- I knew it was Jesus. I just had peace in my heart. Something had shifted from trying to convince myself or think through all this stuff and I knew, I just knew he was real in my heart. So that's a big example of something like, I'm not sure what I think about Jesus. That's a pretty important thing. But there's still other things about God or the Christian story that we might struggle to believe or feel dissonance uh, when we think about it. And so I think our series this summer, Making Real What I Already Believe, is actually about embracing the dissonance that we sometimes feel and leaning in to the discomfort. I know for me it was good that I had to, I was faced with the, p- the dissonance of what do I think about Jesus? That was good for me because it forced me to lean in and to eventually have that experience with him. That was really profound. And so I want to say that it's actually a fight to believe that these eight axioms are true and that this is who God is. This list of things, that this is who God is. It's a fight to believe that. And it would be dishonest for me to stand here this morning and say that this should be easy for you to believe and embrace. And it shouldn't be. um, It it shouldn't be easy. I don't think actually. And I think if it is easy, then I would question the genuineness of it. I would question if we're really being honest, because it's not always easy to believe these things. It takes faith. And faith has to be expressed in action. So I think faith is belief expressed in action. And so if I believe these things about God, you should be able to see it in my life. So it's like if I, say, if I tell you all, I believe that this chair will hold me up. But if I never sit down on the chair, <laughs> I'm not demonstrating faith to you. I have to actually sit down on the chair to show you that that's actually what I believe. And so I've noticed that, and maybe you've noticed this too, I've noticed we've become more comfortable in the church talking about doubt, and I think that's really good. Uh, I'm all for that. I think we need to talk about the areas we struggle and the things that we find it hard to believe. But I would also hate to see the pendulum swing to where it becomes unpopular to talk about faith. Good, old-fashioned, Hebrews 11.1, Faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is an active word. Again, belief expressed in action. It's not passive. And I remember uh, Tim Keller, he used to always say that no one ever learns that they're a sinner by being told they have to be shown. And likewise, he would say that no one ever learns that they're loved by being told, they have to be shown. And these realities about who God is have to be experienced in real time, in the real world, where circumstances and pressures and doubts and fears are squeezing us, but in the end, God God comes through and proves that he is still who he says he is. And so I think we have a small part to play in making real what we already believe. But as usual, the larger part is God's. We have to be in different situations where we step out in faith, believing that God is who he says he is. But then God actually has to show up and show us that he's faithful and loyal, not just in a broad sense, but to us specifically. And I think this is the process by which dissonance begins to be resolved in our spiritual lives. It's through experiencing the goodness of God in the middle of the raw circumstances of life. And this is how God takes what we already believe and makes it real to us. So we've heard uh, a few scriptures this morning. Judy read a number of them for us. And in the last scripture is uh, from 1 Corinthians. And I'll read it for us again. But this is where the title of this book actually comes from. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. In this chapter, Paul is talking to the Corinthians um, about the wisdom that we receive from the Holy Spirit that empowers us to understand the big plan of God. And his big plan is, of course, to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus and to ultimately elevate the status of Of human beings to the level of his son and Paul says without the Holy Spirit this plan seems like complete foolishness but we can understand it because we have the mind of Christ so it's yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit that makes real to us what we already believe it's allowing the Holy Spirit to work with us through our circumstances to show us who God really is and to allow us to experience what he's really like. And while everything about Jesus is important for understanding who God is, here in 1 in Corinthians, Paul is saying it's actually Christ crucified who reveals the heart of God most clearly to us. And it's also Christ crucified that is complete and utter foolishness to the wisdom of the world. The cross is the stumbling block for those living without the spirit because it makes absolutely no sense that God would die on behalf of humanity. But to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. At the beginning of chapter two in 1 Corinthians, there's the famous line from Paul when he says, "'When I came to you, "'I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. If we try to use the world's wisdom to understand the ways of God, we end up frustrated and confused. And the picture of God that's painted in the eight axioms, We've been talking about that we're going to look at this summer is foolish according to the wisdom of the world how could that possibly be who God is it's too good to be true but we have to learn to look at God through the lens of Jesus but specifically through the lens of the cross and I want to talk about that this morning what picture of God is formed in us when we take the time to reflect and meditate on the cross. Because the cross is not just a revelation for people who don't know Jesus yet. Paul says it is the power of God. If we wanna transform our dissonance and make real what we believe, the power to do that can only come from the cross. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that the cross forms a picture of God that looks very similar to the picture of God that emerges from these eight axioms. And so I wanna move through a few of these axioms this morning and notice how they're all on display on the cross. So I've put a few of them together. First, I wanna look at how God is love, so it's all about love. God cares about all of it more than we do. And God meets us in our messy reality. How does the cross show us these things? First, for God to be love, he has to take sin and evil seriously. He has to be a God of justice. We could not say that a God who ignores the consequences of evil and sin is love. We can think of any number of atrocities or terrible things that happen in our world today, and we could ask how could a a God of love simply ignore any of these things or say that they don't really matter. So to say God is love has to include an element of justice, of taking evil seriously. But likewise, how could we say God is love if he's just out for retribution, if his main goal is paying back sins? For God to be love, he has to also be merciful, patient, willing to forgive, willing to overlook offenses. And the cross is the only way that God can maintain both of these attributes. On the cross, we see God in Christ taking responsibility for evil and carrying and absorbing the sin of humanity. And so God is love because on the cross, he does both. He takes evil seriously and he absorbs the consequences of it himself so that we can be freed from its power. And God cares about all of it more than we do, because He's willing to take these consequences of evil and sin on Himself so that we can be free. And God meets us in our messy reality, because in Jesus, God doesn't shy away from even the darkest parts of the human experience. Jesus shows us a God who willingly suffers with us. Second, um, God is always present and at work, and God is just like Jesus. Let me read to you a verse from Revelation. It's Revelation 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain, from the creation of the world. Did you catch that last part? The lamb who was slain before the world was made is how it reads in uh, New Living Translation. And it's almost like the Apostle John just kind of makes this comment offhand. Like, oh, you all know this, right? Like, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. It's like, I thought that happened in in Second Temple Judaism, like in that period. What what is he talking about here? But John says Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slaughtered before the world was made, before the foundation of the world. Did you know before God made anything, Jesus was already the Lamb who would be slain? And you get this idea in Paul's letters as well. He's always talking about the the secret plan of God that was hidden but has now been revealed. Through the cross. God has always had this plan for redemption in mind. He always had a plan to restore his good world, and the cross was plan A. It's not a backup plan. God wasn't like, oh, this is going really badly. We better send in Jesus. This is what he always had in mind. So, how can we know God is always present and at work? Well, before. God made any of what we see. Before what we see was distorted by sin and human cooperation with evil, God had already established a plan to redeem the world he he made and to bring good back into his world. So if God can turn something as horrible as the crucifixion of his son into good news, then we must believe he can redeem and restore whatever situation we're experiencing or seeing in the world. This is what God does, he brings good out of wreckage. And through the lens of the cross, we see a God who is just like Jesus, who has a plan and who has accounted for all of our mess and mistakes and is not surprised or unable to work through even the darkest situations. god does the same work through us and in us and god transforms us through embodied participation so the cross is what reconciles us to god and the work that god is doing in us and through us is reconciliation and if we're truly being reconciled to god then we're being reconciled to ourselves and others at the same time as we yield to the holy spirit and see healing come in our own relationship with God, it ripples out into our other relationships. These things are connected. I don't think we can be reconciled to God on a greater level without that directly impacting our relationships with ourselves and with others. And God also transforms us through embodied participation by the cross, because we are invited by Jesus to take up our own cross, to follow his example, and to be transformed into something new through a death to ourselves. The cross is what brings transformation into our lives as daily we, dis- we choose to die to old ways of living and recognize that this is something we really need as we give ourselves over to this process. I know for me, like there's often things, you know, in marriage or being a father, things I'm like, wow, you know, the sin comes up or it gets revealed. You think, where does this go without Jesus? (laughs) Where does it go? It just stays with me. This is the hope of what Jesus, he takes this on. He's with us in these things. Lastly, God's love always reckons with power. On the cross, Jesus shows us a different relationship to power than the one that we see and experience in the world. Jesus overcomes sin and evil by relinquishing power and trusting in the goodness of God. God's love reckons with power, but not in the way that we'd expect. Jesus defeats the powers of evil when he picks up the towel and washes the disciples' feet. He does the opposite of what sin and Satan would have him do. He humbly serves others of love. And the greatest act of service and love is displayed on the cross when Jesus takes our sin on himself and defeats its power over us. Now sin no longer gets the last word. It can no longer control the way we live. It's lost its power to enslave and capture us. The cross establishes a new kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. It's a new economy where people pray for their enemies, where they're willing to go the second mile with them, where all people are welcomed with inherent dignity and worth because they're made in the image of God. God's love reckons with power and establishes a new order of things that exists within the old order. And it's foolishness to the world but to us it's the power of God and it's all made possible through the work of Jesus on the cross. Let me try to land the plane this morning. We've talked about the different pictures of God that we carry with us. We've talked about the dissonance we sometimes feel between what we know in our heads and what we experience in life and what we feel in our hearts. And we've talked about the fight that it is to put our faith in the picture of God that is revealed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite us again to lean into the discomfort this summer. I want to invite you to notice particular places or ideas that create dissonance within us and to not run away from them or deny them, but instead to allow God to meet us in these spaces of discomfort. And I wanna suggest that perhaps, I know this has been true for me many times and I think it still is, but perhaps the area where we feel the most discomfort is the area where God is most wanting to reveal to us who he really is. With that, I'm gonna invite the band back up and. and Just gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for how you revealed to us the heart of God. Jesus, thank you how you show us who God is. God, that you are not distant, you are not far away. You come down to us and you meet us in our messy reality. And you take these things on yourself so that we can find freedom. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice for us that you, that you invite us in now to your family. And Lord, would you come and remind us of these things again this morning. We ask in your name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.